All right, we are back, and doggone it, we're not going to talk about ADA lawsuits, at least not on today's program. Let's talk about some science stuff instead. We mentioned some weeks back that there's a study being funded by the Planetary Society to try and determine whether there are planets around Alpha Centauri. On last week's show, we mentioned the fact that the Kepler spacecraft has now uncovered two planets orbiting a binary star system. As you may or may not be aware, our nearest star, Alpha Centauri, actually consists of two components, Alpha Centauri A and Alpha Centauri B. And I'm quite astonished to note that no one has taken a close look yet to try and determine whether there might be planets orbiting this binary system, the one closest to us, the one that's only 4.3 light years away. And yes, I know technically the closest star to us is Proxima Centauri, a dim red dwarf that even though it's the closest star to us is so dim it's not visible to the naked eye. Scientists have long believed that Proxima Centauri is orbiting the Alpha and Beta system as a triple star, but believe it or not, I think they're still not 100% sure about this. So we're going to have to bring Bruce Betts back on this program. He's been a wonderful guest in past shows to see how this... uh, This progress is going using, I believe, primarily the 10-meter telescope at the Keck Observatory in Hawaii. Luckily, you only have to go as far south as Hawaii to see Alpha Centauri. Unfortunately, here in Northern California, where we broadcast, we are screwed. Our closest star system lies close enough to the South Pole that it's never visible this far north. Anyway, from the pile of clippings, here's an item from May 23rd, which is just frankly irresistible in the wake of our talk last week about the vast stink coming off the Salton Sea. I didn't quote very extensively from a piece last May by Tony Perry in the Los Angeles Times, which came not long after uh, uh, my friend Sharon and I visited this eco-catastrophe. But it does warn a few quotes, such as, Dateline, Salton Sea State Recreation Area. By the way, there's a picture accompanying this article of a fisherman pulling a tilapia out of the lake, which to this correspondent it looks about as inviting as a guy with a rod and reel down at the sewage treatment plant. Says the piece, During the heyday of the Salton Sea, when the Hollywood crowd and others came to play in large numbers, this strip of beaches, campsites, and fishing spots along the sea's northern shore was one of California's most popular parks. But that was years ago. Goes on a little later. The decades have not been kind to the Salton Sea. Hurt by headlines about the dangers of eating the fish, the repulsive smell of the water, and the toxic stew of the new river, which empties into the sea, the sea's smell is generally attributed to the blooming and decomposition of algae, plus the proliferation of plankton. And while it doesn't mention this, the accompanying small photo next to that paragraph (laughs) shows a fish carcass with the caption, Rotting fish are an unfortunate part of the area's ambiance. But fish caught in the Salton Sea are safe to eat. The fish die-offs there are from lack of oxygen, not from toxic poisoning. Mmm. Much of this article centers on how, uh, in the wake of uh, state economic woes, they may have to close down the Salton Sea State Recreation Area. But there's apparently a complication in that it is federal land on which, upon which there is a state park. And as noted in this piece, which again was from the 23rd of May, if it closes by July 1st as planned, 
The federal landlords will probably insist that the picnic benches be removed and other structures torn down, including the visitor center and museum, for liability reasons and to prevent the area from becoming a squatter's camp. I'm just going to read the next part. Federal rules call for an area to be returned to its, quote, natural state, unquote, which I guess in this case would be dry desert, once a lease has ended. Riverside County, in turn, will insist that the septic tanks be filled with sand for environmental reasons to prevent leaching into the sea. Of course, if you go there, you'll note there's apparently been quite a bit of leaching taking place already. And I know, maybe I shouldn't be making light of this this disaster, but I don't know, you just have to laugh or you have to cry. Article quotes Edsel Horowitz, 39, a nurse from Duarte, who's been going to the Salton Sea since his father taught him to fish there, saying, It's like the good things in California are disappearing so fast. And goes on to note that a fundraising effort is underway in hopes of collecting $250,000 needed to keep at least the main part of the recreation area and Mecca Beach open for a year. Well, (laughs) we have to ask, what the hell for? And again, dear listener, please don't take our word for any of this. If you get a chance, go south to Palm Springs and check this thing out for yourself. The local authorities and politicians in the state appear to want to do nothing about it. And, uh, well, if they do nothing about it, it's only going to become an even bigger disaster. Although, to be honest, we don't have any solutions. Although we are intrigued by the possibility of tying in Sacramento's homeless problem to this issue of settlements down by the Salton Sea. But I don't think I'll explore that at great length on today's show. And by the way, the smart-ass opinions voiced on this program in no way necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California, none of whom have ever proposed shipping Sacramento's homeless to the Salton Sea area. A little bit deeper read of a piece we had uh, by Mark Stevenson from the Sacramento Bee some months ago. We mentioned that a Baja resort plan had stalled amid fears for the local coral reef down there, but... After I read the article in more detail, I was kind of stunned by what good news this may represent. Apparently, a Spanish company was planning an enormous Cancun-sized resort down there in Baja in front of a protected coral reef. In fact, it's the only coral reef in the Gulf of California, and uh, we think that would have been a really bad place to put a Cancun-sized resort. Thankfully, in this case, the Mexican government appears to agree. He notes that back in 1999, with support from a local university, the Mexican government declared the reef a protected area and later upgraded it to marine park status. The effort was aided by local residents who largely transformed the economy from fishing to ecotourism. And the amount of life on the reef subsequently blossomed. A study by the Scripps Institute of Oceanography here in San Diego found that the biomass of the Cabo Pulmo Reef the total weight of living species, rose by 460%, adding that the reef is now so healthy that fish migrate from it to neighboring areas, helping the fishermen there. Oh, by the way, if you're going to plan some eclipse chasing, as we mentioned a moment ago, you may want to check with your travel agent to make sure that wherever you're going, you'll be flying on a Boeing aircraft instead of an Airbus. I made that exact inquiry of my travel agent, uh, a few weeks back, realizing I was going to be doing a lot of flying, and I was hoping to do it on a Boeing plane. In the wake of the news that the Airbus cockpit employs little joysticks that you only have to move like a half inch to basically put the plane into a dive. 
Unlike the dual yoke system used in most other aircraft from Cessnas to Boeing 747s, a design flaw now cited in the 2009 crash of that uh, Air France jet in the South Atlantic. We have to bring back our we have to bring back our aviation correspondent uh, Vladimir Zarevika to talk about this issue. He's a big he's a big believer in Boeing aircraft. Uh, well, not the least of which because as he described on this program some years ago, he believes he owes his life to the excellent design of the Boeing Corporation when in flying through a weather cell, the windshield of the aircraft got smashed up. The hailstones doing the smashing were somewhat smaller than the David Letterman-esque canned ham size. But it did make it look like his Boeing had been hit all over by people with ball-peen hammers. Anyway, you can bet we'll talk about uh, that in the months to come. We never did get any feedback about this great scam going on for uh, spraying of mosquitoes for West Nile virus. Will someone please give us a call and let us know what you know about this? I got a feeling there's some federal money involved in this, uh, just like uh, the drug war all across this country, wherein federal authorities promised local police agencies they would have all kinds of airplanes and helicopters and fun gear and great stuff if they were going to go out and push this drug war locally. An offer local police agencies found hard to resist. So we just suspect something like that may be going on with this whole mosquito uh, spraying stuff. But anyway, any we got time for one more item, which, which is to revisit something we mentioned on the show months ago about fruit flies and alcohol. Apparently, scientists at Emory University noted that um, since fruit flies do feed on fermenting fruit, they and their larvae have evolved a high tolerance for alcohol, which naturally occurs in rotting fruit. But the scientists noted that even modest alcohol levels proved to be toxic to a type of wasp that injects its eggs into fruit fly larvae when they hatch. They then eat the larva from the inside out. So these emery guys put some wasp-infected flies and healthy flies into petri dishes with both alcohol-rich and non-alcoholic foods. 30% of the healthy flies chose the alcoholic meal. 80% of the infected flies did. These scientists concluded that... Um, the insects know the wasps are infecting them, and they self-medicate by getting schnockered. Yes, we believe that to be an actual scientific term. Schnockered. Emory biologist Todd Schlenke told the New York Times that previous studies had shown that many species, from chimps to caterpillars, eat specific plants to rid themselves of parasites. But fruit flies were the first found to use alcohol for that purpose. This caused the Week magazine to venture the opinion that experts say it's possible that humans began to drink alcohol out of some instinctual attempt to kill parasites. To which we have to add, no, we don't think that's the reason. Radio Parallax has searched for a better answer to that question. We're just going to have to quote a few people. Such as that great Roman Horace, who once said, No poems can please for long or live that are written by water drinkers. How about this one from Robert Louis Stevenson? Wine is bottled poetry. And then there's this lesser-known piece of advice from Herman Jackrabbit Smith Johansson, which is stay busy, get plenty of exercise, and don't drink too much. Then again, don't drink too little. As a public service announcement, we must close with the following anonymous quote, which is, if drinking is interfering with your work, 
you're probably a heavy drinker. If work is interfering with your drinking, you're probably an alcoholic. Take a short break. Listen to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Stay tuned for more fun in segment three with a look back at one of our favorite discussions with a book author. 